morning, we're actually going to be talking about that exactly. What what are we going to do? Look at this first slide we have up, or going to have up. There we go. Okay, this is a test. Okay, you got to get this right. I will be handing out passing and failing grades. So I want you to tell me, what do you see there? Ah, guess what? You're wrong. That's not an acorn at all. What is that? Next slide. What is it? It's an oak tree. So to Brad and to the arborists out there, that actually was an oak tree that you saw. But that's okay. I know it's it's early in the morning, it's a little cold, you hadn't been thinking. So let's go to this next one. What do you see here? Yeah, you see cotton, but that's not really cotton because if you're a cotton farmer, what do you actually see? Oh, you might see money or you might see some kind of dress, right? How about this next one? What do you see right here? Oh, that's kind of tiny, it's hard to see. What does that look like? It looks like a, oh, Nora, did you just do that? You called it a butterfly? A butterfly has wings. That's a caterpillar. But what happens if you click that slide? What do we actually see? I don't know all the, the larvae and all the, but it's a butterfly, right? You, it's not what you first see. It's what really is there. How about this? This is going to get you. What's this? What do you see? A, a diamond in the rough. That's what Rusty found years ago, didn't he? A diamond in the rough. And what did you get? Well, we won't say that we're in a church building, but we got Rusty, right? If you're a geologist, right, Harold Brown, you know what this is. It's a diamond. But you don't see that. You, you just see this rock. Well, how about this next one? What do you see here? A bunch of nothing. Swamplands in Florida, right? But there's a guy named Walt. He saw something completely different. What did he see? He saw a mouse in a really big house. What we would know as Walt Disney World. How about this next one? What do you see here? I'm not really sure. Hold on, folks. I know we're in New Mexico, but this is something completely different. Juan Valdez would say, this isn't just a bunch of uh, crops. What would he say this is? This next slide. Or Starbucks, for those of you who don't know who Juan Valdez is. This is, this is coffee. Okay, how about this one? What do you see here? Is it, it's a baby? Okay. It, okay, let's go to this next slide. Little puppy, that that tiny little embryo. Only a, a few more. How about this next one? What do you see? Well, see, I don't know where to go with this. Is it the chicken? Is it the egg? A philosopher would argue back and forth about that. I don't really know what to do with this one. But maybe it was the chicken. Maybe it was the egg. But somebody would look at that chicken and they would say, you want to know what? Th that's going to produce eggs. And then another person would look at the eggs and say, you know what? That's going to be a little chick someday. And this, this did you say Colonel Sanders? 
I just I don't know what to do with that. So <laughs> we're just gonna we're gonna move right along. How about this last one? You 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 see that? But then we have this beautiful picture. What a photographer sees is not what you would see in in that dark room. How about just one more? Tell me, what do you see? You, you see a savior. You know that that looks just like you know a manger. But but what do you really see? Or, or let me ask this: What do you think God saw? Click that next button. And what do we really get? It's it's more than just a manger. It's more than just a baby. It's the cross. And and even beyond that, it's not just the cross. It's the empty tomb. And if you'll go ahead and click that again, the empty tomb is important because of the cross. And the cross is important because God said, I'm going to send my son. And so that's what we're going to talk about a little this morning. We spent a lot of time in Mark. I, I kind of feel like we started this series maybe in like 2017. I don't know, but we've been going through Mark a really long time. And so it just so happens that, that we're landing a, around the crucifixion of Jesus right before Christmas. And you're like, that, that's, we should be talking about little baby Jesus. But I want you to know that, that when we think about baby Jesus, the reason why we celebrate his birth is because of what he did on the cross. You need to know that if Jesus didn't go to the cross, we wouldn't be celebrating baby Jesus in a manger. But you also have to know this. That you don't celebrate the cross and someone dying on it if you don't have an empty tomb. And so as we spend some time this morning in Mark 15, and we're going to kind of tease back a little bit, and we're going to go to Mark 14, really, while, while we're about to celebrate the birth of Jesus, you have to remember, when you see the manger and the baby, you have to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made and the glory of an empty tomb. And that's where we're going to be this morning. Mark chapter 15, the sun rises. I love how it starts out. It says, very early in the morning. Okay, Mark is going to give this description. And I love this because this is a callback. It's not the only time he uses this phrase. In fact, it's one of my most favorite phrases in the Gospel of Mark, you go back to chapter 1, verse 35, and it says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and he went to a solitary place where he could pray. Jesus is working hard to keep up a relationship with his Father. And then we fast forward all the way to Mark 15, and Mark is going to say again, Very early in the morning morning but this time he's not going to describe the dedication of Jesus but instead the ruthlessness of these people we'll call chief priests and the high priest and the Sanhedrin and so we're going to talk a little bit about that but very early in the morning this is a really really big deal okay 
Why is it a big deal that Mark would point out that this is very early in the morning? Very early. A couple of things. One, what happens before very early in the morning? It's nighttime. We talked a little bit about this in class last week. But if we go back and look at Mark 14 and all the things that are going to take place with Annas and Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin specifically, all of this is done in the cover of night. The Sanhedrin, by their own law, is not supposed to meet. They're not supposed to be there. That's not something that they're allowed to do, but they do it. And all of this is just some hoax, it's some ruse. They're just trying to find a way to get Jesus killed. And they can't do it in the daytime. And so they're going to have to do it at night. And so all of what we're reading about in Mark 14 is going to take place at nighttime. Right? So for those of you who are city slickers like myself, you probably... Don't think this is your first answer. But what happens at sunrise? What was that, Julie? The rooster crows. Why is this a big deal? Does anybody remember? Peter, this is when he realizes that he has denied the one that he loved and the one that he promised he would die for. For the third time. And I do love the Gospels and how they're written. And it would just almost be impossible to do what I wish they could do. But what we get, especially in Mark, but throughout, you, you, just, you, you don't get this idea that the denial of, of Peter and, and the trial of Jesus is happening consecutively. It's happening, excuse me, concurrently. It's happening at the same time. And so I almost wish you could do that, but we can't, so I, I need some help. Hey, Brandon, how are you doing, bud? Can, can you come up here and help me a little bit? We're really excited. Brandon just had a birthday. How old are you now, uh, Brandon? 18 years old. Isn't that awesome? 18 years. Now, yeah, that's... that's a, I don't want to say it's all going to go downhill from here, but I just want you to know... Just look over right there. Okay, sorry. So, I, I, we don't know how old Peter was. We know just a few things about Peter. We do know that he was married, right? Because at one point in Jesus' ministry, he's going to, uh, to heal uh, Peter's mother-in-law. See, mother-in-laws aren't all that bad. Just something to think about. But here's the thing about this story that we kind of lose. We lose the fact... That as Jesus is on trial, so is Peter. And we just miss this contrast. And so what I want you to do, I know this is weird. You look like you have on some comfortable shoes. And so maybe you don't mind. I just want you to kind of hang out up here for a minute. But just, I want to have a little room. Would you just kind of come hang out over here? And I even have a script for you. Occasionally, I might ask you a question. And here's the, the three different answers that, that you can give, okay? 
So, so it's Mark 14, it's late at night, the garden has already happened, Judas has betrayed Jesus, Jesus is first going to go to Annas, uh, he was once a high priest, uh, but he's no longer now his son-in-law, uh, Caiaphas is now the high priest. We don't really know why he goes to Annas' place, he just kind of ends up there. Annas, like, he has no power whatsoever. But Jesus is going to end up there anyway. Uh, and then he's going to end up getting taken to Caiaphas, who is the high priest. And let's just be honest, he doesn't have as much authority as he thinks he has, or certainly as much authority as he wants. Peter, are you doing okay over there? Good, okay. Um, and so Peter is going to be kind of in the background. He's going to be in the background as Jesus is going through these trials. And he's not far away. He's going to move around a little bit, mainly because he keeps getting questioned and, and accused, and, and you could even argue that he was interrogated to some sense. And so he's trying to find his way around, but, but we have an idea that he's within earshot of what Jesus is. And we do know at some point as that rooster crows, he's close enough that he's going to turn and see Jesus, and Jesus is going to turn and see him, and there's just going to be this look that's shared between the two of them. But at this point, Jesus is at the house of Caiaphas. Can you imagine that? And, and the Sanhedrin shows up. What's the Sanhedrin? It's like the, the Jewish Supreme Court. Okay, they, they, they have um, some authority, but because of Rome coming in and occupying Jerusalem and all of Judea, they don't have what they really want. They hate the Romans, but, but the truth is they seem to hate just nearly everybody. And they're struggling because they just want to kill this guy named Jesus. He's just causing a lot of problems. And so the Sanhedrin is going to show up. And, and does anybody know how many members are in the Sanhedrin? 72. Caiaphas has got a big place. I mean, hist historians talk about all the, the money that he had embezzled and, and that he had taken from his own people. And, and now he's just trying to get rid of this guy who's causing trouble. So it turns out that 71 members of the Sanhedrin and Caiaphas, he made 72, are in there. And it's just really a joke. They start trying to figure out ways that they, they can accuse Jesus of all these things. But the problem is they've brought in these people who are, are giving false testimony, and they can't just they can't seem to get their stories to match up. Right? And right as that was going on, there's a woman who comes up and, and she's in the courtyard and she says, Hey, don't you know this Jesus guy? Oh, okay. That's pretty good. Okay, but, but remember, okay, 
your life could be on the line here. This is really important. You want to make sure that she knows that you don't know this guy. So you ready again? Here we go again. You ready for this? Hey, hey, don't you know that guy? I promise under oath I don't know. Oh, no. I promise under oath that I don't know this man. He starts off in the courtyard. He's being questioned by this woman. And she says, he says, I don't, I don't know him. He's going to kind of wander around. He's going to make himself over by the fire. And she's going to follow him again. And she's going to ask that question. Think about his, his tone and his inflection. As his life is on the line. He knows that she's on to him. He can't hide his thick Galilean accent. And she wants to get him in the same place where Jesus is. But remember what Peter has said. He says, even if everybody else deserts you, I will never desert you. I will die for you. And he's hanging out by a fire. And he's saying, I don't know who this guy is. Now, you can just stay here, but... But what really happens is he's going to wander some more. He's trying to get away from this woman. First she's accused him in the courtyard and now by the fire. And so he's going to go out near the gate and say, I just, I, I want to stay close enough to where I can see what's going on. But I don't want to be so close that that woman's going to find me again. And Anhedrin is going to continue to ask. We haven't even gotten to Pilate or Herod, all that's going on. Again, they have almost no authority, but they're trying their best to trap Jesus. And they can't seem to do it. And finally, they ask this question. Are you the Son of God? You know, prior to this, Jesus had remained silent. They were surprised and they were baffled. In fact, later on, Pilate is going to be amazed that Jesus wouldn't say anything. They had accused him over and over again. And who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering who was familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took our pain and he bore our sufferings, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed by our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him 
And by His wounds we are healed. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet He did not open His mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as sheep before its shears is silent, He did not open His mouth. Isaiah prophesies hundreds of years prior to what Jesus is going to do that night. He remains silent. You know, we have this one scene of Jesus just constantly taking the abuse and the humility. Ultimately, it's going to lead to not only accusations, but the Sanhedrin is going to start spitting on him. And Peter's just hanging out in the court. I don't know him. I don't know this guy. But finally, he's going to be asked, are you the son of God? And listen to what he says. He says, I am. He says, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds in heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Do we need any more evidence? Now the answer to that question is, absolutely you do. None of this would hold up in a real court among all the other laws that they've broken, including the fact that they're meeting at night. That somebody who testifies against themselves, according to the Sanhedrin, they cannot be convicted based on their own testimony. And if you want to kill somebody, if you say they have to die, you still are supposed to wait another day just to make sure to have this buffer period. None of that happened. He tears his clothes. This is not worthy of death. But Caiaphas... What so badly to see this guy die that he starts ranting and raving. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him, blindfolded him, and they struck him with their fist and they said, prophesy. And the guards took him. And they beat him. And we have to remember, with the spitting and the beatings and the screaming, Peter was just a few feet away. And finally, someone is going to come up to Peter and say, "You, I know you're the one. I know you know him. And what does Peter say? May God judge me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. Let me be cursed if I'm lying. I don't know what you're talking about. And Mark 15... The sun rises and the rooster crows. And as Jesus is bloodied and beaten 
and covered in the spit of other people, he looks up and he sees Peter. I would give anything, anything to see the look that Jesus has when he looks at Peter. We all know how Peter felt. But I want you to imagine the look on Jesus' face when Peter denies him. I don't think it's scorn. I don't think it's disappointment. I mean, he knew what I really think. It was just brokenness. It was brokenness because Peter needed Jesus. But he was just too afraid to admit it. I don't know what your worst moment is. I don't know your skeletons in your closet. I don't know what deep sins that you hide that you just pray people don't ever find out. But here's what I do know. Jesus knows that sin. He knows those thoughts and your motives. He knows that filth and that anger and that bitterness. And I want you to know that as you look at him, he looks at you and he loves you and through his brokenness says, when you're in the courtyard sinning, I am going to die for you because that's how much I love you. We're coming up on December 25th and, and we're going to celebrate. We'll share gifts and eat a lot of food and watch football and exchange gifts and travel all sorts of distances. But I hope that just for a little bit that you think about that little baby and you celebrate that that little child grew up so that he could bear your sins, clear your name, and call you a child of God. And that's why the world is about to celebrate that little baby in a manger. Because the look that he gave and the life that he lived and the suffering he took for all of us. And so we can celebrate. This morning, if you're still wrestling with those sins and that brokenness, and you think that God can't love you and, and, and Satan is just continuing to whisper that you're no good, I just want you to know those are lies. And that God loves you. His son died for you. And he's calling you home. And this morning, I want to invite you to accept that invitation. And let us sing about a God who loved us and gave everything else for us.
join me this morning as we stand and sing. Thank you,